When I was six years old, uh, my 14-year-old brother was taking out the garbage can. He came back in the house with a bullet in his leg. There was blood in our living room floor. The police department, the fire department, and all the neighbors came into our neighborhood, into our home, because of this event. And the very next day, we never spoke about it. Never even talked about it. But when I was 21 years old, another one of my brothers was 28. His name was David. And David was shot and murdered in Miami on um, 68 Terrace in Northwest 18th Avenue. And I got to the scene where David was when the medical examiner's wagon arrived to retrieve his body. And I saw my brother laying there with his eyes open and flies coming out of his mouth. And it was traumatizing. It was, it was hard to see. But I just stuffed all of that pain. I didn't even cry at the scene. I just stood there and just watched all of this stuff. Stuffed it all. We'll get you on this show, talk about your dreams, aspirations, goals, whatever you want to discuss that can help somebody get better. How's it going, everyone? Thank you for tuning in to this episode here on the Unlimited Power Show. My name is Edouard Gilles, AKA CEO Ambitionist, all social media platforms. And today we have the pleasure of introducing to you a great man, any man that steps outside himself, goes into his community, impacts others because of his or her experiences, man or woman, I'm not a sexist, <laughs> is a man worthy of uh, support, praise, and this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Jonathan Spike's mission in life. And like one thing I always say on this show is that we don't introduce people. Why? Why not? Well, first of all, you might miss a couple things. Second of all, you might not do such a great job. I think we have the best power to introduce ourselves. When we tell you what we stand for, it means a lot more. So with that being said, Jonathan, who are you? What do you do what you do and why do you do it? I am Jonathan Spikes. I'm the founder and executive director of the Affirming Youth Foundation yes. in Miami. I founded an organization based upon my childhood experiences of growing up with multiple traumas. When I was six years old, uh, my 14-year-old brother was taken out the garbage can. He came back in the house with a bullet in his leg. There was blood in our living room floor, the police department, the fire department, and all the neighbors came into our neighborhood, into our home, because of this event. And the very next day, we never spoke about it. Never even talked about it. Here I was, six years old, playing with my brother who wanted to take the garbage out, came back in the house with a bullet in his leg. And we never discussed it. When I was 21 years, that brother survived. Yeah. But when I was 21 years old, another one of my brothers was 28. His name was David. And David was shot and murdered in Miami on um, 68 Terrace in Northwest 18th Avenue. And I got to the scene where David was when the medical examiner's wagon arrived to retrieve his body. And I saw my brother laying there with his eyes open and flies coming out of his mouth. And it was traumatizing. It was, it was hard to see. Yeah. But I just stuffed all of that pain. I didn't even cry at the scene. I just stood there and just watched all of this stuff stuffed it all inside of me. 
And the very next day, we didn't talk about it. I didn't share the pain. I didn't share the trauma. Trauma. I didn't share the grief of seeing my brother laying there on the street. Going throughout my life, those things started affecting me. And because they started affecting me, I started acting out in ways that was not productive to what I was meant to become in life. And because of those things, and because they are normal in a lot of urban communities, that we don't talk about trauma, we don't talk about things that affect us, that's why I do what I do. Wow. That's, that's a powerful story. Yes. You know, I think we, there's a persona that we have to be the we're like the, the strong black man, right? Mm -hmm, that nothing mm -hmm. phases us inside and out. Even mm -hmm. in the hospital, right? You know, there are certain procedures that other races won't go th through that mm -hmm. they will put us through. Right. So you were raised in down here in Miami? Yes, I'm from Miami, Florida. I was raised in Scott Projects um, in Liberty City. Mm -hmm. And it was um, tough, but it was a lot of life lessons that I learned. Resilience. Yes. How to get through anything. Not having a lot, but still could create a whole bunch out of that little that you do have and not giving up. And so I, I thank God for those experiences. I call them hood experiences, but <laughs> there was experiences that groomed yeah. me and shaped me to become the person that I am today. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Like hood experiences. I was just reading an article today <laughs> about the current state of black males in the United States of America. Mm -hmm. And it says that the percentage of us in poverty right now has really went down. And also there are a lot more successful black males regardless of the circumstances and the situations that they've been through. Yes, I, I would also um, um, say to you that there's always been a, yeah. a higher percentage yeah. of successful black men taking care of their families, married with kids, yeah. or just or, or just doing positive things in the community. Yeah. A lot of times we brought into this image that is not true. Yeah. There are more successful black people than there are non-successful black people. That is true. Yeah. So speaking of your success, mm -hmm. what do you do now as far as um, your organization? Can you tell us more about the Affirming Youth Foundation? Yes, Affirming Youth Foundation, we started in 2012. And um, that's when bullying became such a big issue. And of course, as you know, October is National Bullying Prevention Month. And so it goes hand in hand. We did a, a big event with Miami-Dade County Public Schools with um, 17 schools, 10 high schools, seven middle schools and we did this thing called um, bullying prevention which was a conflict resolution workshop i hired all these clinical psychologists to come up there and talk to the kids and they were on the stage and they were doing a good job but of course they wasn't reaching the kids yeah. although they were doing a good job they were they was not reaching the kids i decided to go up and take the microphone because i know once we lose them yeah it's, it's over it's not coming back, right? <laughs> it's it's not coming back. And so I took the microphone and I asked the question and one of the kids in the audience answered and then another kid on the other side answered back to them and it just became this whole thing and that's what helped me formulate what we do now. Instead of us going to them and telling them what to do, we're going back and we're just starting the conversation and letting them act it out or, or answer each other and work out their own solutions because ultimately it belongs to them. And so now from that growth, we're, we're now, we opened up the Affirming Youth Center on August the 4th of this year, so recently, like last month, within the Affirming Youth Center. And it, it was a big, big, big deal. I was very excited about it, to have this vision and to see it coming to fruition. All the hard work, all the tears, all the anger, all the frustrations, all paid off. Thank God for the healed experiences that told me to hold on, hold yeah. on, keep believing, keep believing. 
And now we're going to launch this program called SEEDS, which is Social and Emotional Enhancement and Development for Success. But this time, instead of doing middle and high schoolers, we're going into the elementary schools to teach this stuff to elementary kids, to help them with emotional regulation skills, teaching them how to manage and maintain themselves. Because a lot of times, we don't, we don't learn this stuff. I know as a parent, mm -hmm. as an adult, and as a child, I didn't know it. Yeah. So when I had kids, my kids, I didn't know how to give it to my kids. And so but when I was growing up, we, we was taught that if someone hits you, what you do? You hit them yeah. back. There's no discussion. There's no talking about it. You retaliate right away. Or if, if little Johnny hits me in the face, little Johnny's going to catch these hands. We're going to have matching black eyes and rainy days. Or if you're a Christian, they say, turn the other cheek. Yeah, if you're Christian, well, we were Christians and they said, turn the other that. cheek in the Bible. But in the reality, <laughs> we never did it. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> you defended yourself. So that tends to create a lot of problems because when you went into the schools, the school say you're supposed to tell the teacher. Mm -hmm. However, my mama said, if somebody hit me, I better hit them back. So who do you listen to? Yeah. How, you, how do you resolve the conflict between the two? And so that's what we're doing. We're getting with the parents and we're getting with the ch children and we're also working with the teachers to teach kids social and emotional skills. So you're kind of teaching a, a factor in the education that should be included in your school curriculum, I feel like. Don't you think? Yes, it, and it is in a lot of school curriculums. Yeah. It is. It How is. So? Uh, um, they have a lot of programs out there like character education mm -hmm. and things like that. It's not anything that is new. A lot of kids, a lot of school districts became very interested in this stuff like in the 2012 when bullying became the topic. And as the research kept coming out, they started saying we should start teaching kids social and emotional skills. But in urban communities, there are a whole nother different layers that you begin to see because there's a lot of community violence. You can walk out in your house and you see drugs being sold out there or you can see people laying in the streets on you know from being homeless and everything like that mm -hmm. and so there comes another layer that we have to add on to the urban kids because of those um, systemic issues that we have in those type of environments mm. Very interesting. Yes. so before we go further let's navigate back right mm -hmm. back to the times where you were a kid mm -hmm. you know this is Jonathan Spice going through high school how was it like for you or caught or Tell me that experience as vividly as possible. High school was it was very challenging for yeah. me. I didn't quite understand it. Um, I was bullied a lot, and and I didn't know what it meant. I was trying to find myself. Didn't know which way I was going to go. Which I what I wanted to do. I had no goals. I had no values. And the only reason I went to college was to get out of my mother's house. <laughs> so that's, that's a the only that's a reason. Of, that's a lot of people. Yes, that's a lot of. <laughs> and we grew up poor back yeah. then. Back in 1988, I graduated in 1988, long time ago. But we had to pay $10 to send off for the Pell Grant, the FAFSA. Now you, get, you do it for free, but we had to pay $10 back then for them to process our application. Mm -hmm. And my mom didn't have the $10. So I had to go around and ask people, can I to help me get the $10 in order to pay for, to have my FAFSA, my um, application process. Yeah. And so, College was one of the best things that could have ever happened to me because it helped me to see that all this trauma and stuff that I was holding on, everybody doesn't act the same way. Yeah. There were people in college, because I lived on campus, mm -hmm. that had a different belief system than I did. They had come from loving families. They had come from professional families. Some of them had money. Some of them had access. And here I was, came from nothing, trying to fit into this environment 
with people that had a lot and some people didn't. Yeah. But we all were together learning from one another in this community called college. And back then you didn't eat, they didn't feed us on Sunday nights. And I'll never forget this, we all chipped in our change and we all walked to the Piggly Wiggly, this was in Georgia. We all walked to the Piggly Wiggly grocery store, got some pork and beans, <laughs> some bread, yeah. some hot dogs, and some juice and some potato chips. And we walked back to the dorms and we cooked all that in the dorms and we had so much fun sitting down eating hot dogs, potato chips, uh, pork and beans, and drinking juice. That right there was the most amazing experiences that I always hold near and dear to me because it let me know that the world is bigger than me, bigger than my neighborhood what I grew up in, bigger than the family that I grew up in. There are so many people with so many diverse backgrounds that we can learn from one another if we all put aside our differences and try to understand where others are coming from. Well, that's, that's awesome. I think that's an experience that I've had in college too. It's just mm -hmm. like you learn, so it's like being in a small, a sample of the world, uh, uh, I would say the world cultures. Because mm -hmm. you get people from all types of places, right? Mm -hmm. You get all types of different courses and you're learning all types of wisdom. Right. So you're getting a little piece of the world. Yes. But now, when you come from the college world to the real world, how did you make that transition into your professional life? What did you do after college? After college, I did some of everything. I didn't know what, yeah. but one, one of the main things I did, I worked at a school. I, worked, I moved to Miami and I was working at Harshman Middle School. And at Harshman Middle School, I worked as a program coordinator with the juvenile justice, the Department of Juvenile Justice. And that right there started, make, I knew that's where I was supposed to be. It felt good. It didn't pay much money, but I enjoyed working with the kids. I really did. I enjoyed it so much that I, I stayed there. And from there, I transferred to the ASOP program back in the 90s, which was Afrocentric Enhancement Self-Esteem Opportunity Program. And then I started making $12 an hour. Oh my God, that was a big deal for me. Yeah, <laughs> it's still a big deal for a lot Is of people. It? Right, I was making $12 an hour. And that was one of the biggest paychecks I ever received. Yeah. And I enjoyed working for the um, ASOP program, that's what it was called. And we was in um, Golden Glades Elementary School. And then we started doing summer camps over at Florida Memorial University down in Miami. And it just, that's what started it. I, and then from there, I worked at the police department and I went to grad school. And in grad school, I did a study at the police department about um, emotional labor, mm -hmm. stress of 911 operators. And that's when the research side of me began to pick up and tick up. And that's what, that's what started the thing with the firm of youth. When I was working at the police department, I started exhibiting signs of post-traumatic stress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So every time I would rise up, I would get in my own way. Like the, the job loved me. They were trying to give me supervisory positions, but I would do things to self-sabotage myself, not knowing what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I was still fighting with the trauma that I never dealt with when I was a child. And so one of my friends, Cheryl, was working at the police department and she suggested that I go seek some um, mental health counseling. Mm -hmm. And of course, the first thing I said was, girl, you know black folks don't go no, seek no counseling. What you think, I'm crazy? <laughs> I ain't crazy. What you talking about? But I took Cheryl up on her offer, and that was one of the best decisions that I ever made for myself, was to go seek mental health counseling. When I went to counseling, the, the, the benefits were so emotionally transform, transformational that it, it freed me from the baggage and the bondage that I've been holding myself back with for all the time, all, the, all this time. And I didn't even know that seeing my brother get shot and us never discussing it 
was affecting me. I did not know when I was 21 years old seeing my other brother murdered affected me. I didn't know that seeing all the community violence when I was younger in the projects affected me. And so going to speak to somebody who's a trained professional helped me tremendously. And when I found out how beneficial it was, I said, I have to go back and tell somebody else because this was too important to just keep to myself. Wow. That's a powerful mission. I think like a, in a story, there's a character. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning of the story, the personality of this character is developing slowly. Uh, enduring certain obstacles, which is like the um, ups and downs in the movie. Mm -hmm. You know, for you, it was uh, a lot of traumatic uh, occurrences. Yes. You know, seeing those, you know, your brother getting shot. I mean, I, don't yes. want, I can't even imagine how that would feel, you mm -hmm. know? And then you holding all that in and then going out seeking. It's like you're going on a search. Mm -hmm. You're going, you know, you're in college. Now you're seeking a new world and you start to develop in that process and then boom. Uh, you, you get out of college, you start putting things together, different jobs, and you, you kind of build yourself, like, yes. I, like I'm going through right now, like mm -hmm. I just told you, I was slowly building myself. Right. And then boom, the character meets op strong opposition, which is like self. Right? Self, self, yes, right? exactly. So that yeah. inner battle, like when you're like battling your deep self, how did you, I know you got guided by your um, mental health counselor, mm -hmm. but what internal changes you had to make personally to actually develop to that point where you where you thought more than this is more than Jonathan Spikes this is about everyone like me that's been struggling well I know I struggle with faulty perceptions mm -hmm. sometimes something could happen and you could think the absolute worst and you don't think that you could get over it and through mental health counseling um, it teaches you it's called cognitive distortion yes and it teaches you how to look at things things are always there's two sides to every single thing and one of the most important things they were asking what if you say, like, well, if I do this, I'm going to fail. But what if you fail? What happens then? Mm -hmm. Are you going to die? Mm -hmm. what's, I mean, what's yeah, going to happen? What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. So internally, beginning to ask myself, what if? And to begin to reframe the stories that we normally tell ourselves, I can't do it. It's too hard. They're not going to like me. They're not going to accept me. Beginning to reframe, reframe those questions. So Please be sure to like, subscribe, and share this video.